Again, my name is Kier. Um, today we're going to be continuing a new series that we just started on Daniel. Today we'll be talking about the character and conviction of Daniel specifically. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this chance to look at um, this one book in the Bible that has practical lessons for us as well as things looking into the future for us. Um, help us during this time, especially this morning, to see um, what you might want us as individuals or as a body to take away and apply to our lives. And, um, and we pray that uh, you would help us to hear what, you, um, what you're saying to us today. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing I'm going to do this morning is I see this verse from Psalm 50, 15. This is from the New Living Translation. And it says, trust me in times of trouble and I will rescue you and you will give me glory. And this is the main point of what I would like to help you see how this was in Daniel's life and also how it can, this verse can be in our life. We can have this happen in our lives. Now, last week, Brian touched on um, the culture in which Daniel was born. But I want to just quickly revisit that in case you weren't here or to remind you. According to the Bible, Judah was a home of many evil practices. It lists lots of kings in 2 Kings, but specifically kind of coming up to this part in history, King Ammon, it says he did what was evil in the, the Lord's sight, just as his father had done. And then his son, Josiah, did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight by following the example of David. Now, when King Josiah, it wasn't his whole reign that he was following God, but when he became aware that um, how badly he and his kingdom had been living as this book of the law was found and rediscovered, he was brokenhearted and contrite, and he, he humbled himself and thought, how do we repent? And it says that Josiah followed the example of David. Now, you might point out or remember that David was an adulterer and a murderer among other things. But I would suggest that the example Josiah was following was David's pattern of humility and repentance, both before those events and after. To touch on one of those events before when David, just to kind of give you the perspective of where we're coming from. In David's earlier days, he was being pursued by Saul unjustly for trying to take away Saul's kingdom, which really wasn't what was happening. But at one point, David was actually close enough that he could have actually killed Saul, and he cut a piece of the uh, fabric off of Saul's robe. And even this little thing, David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe, because Saul was the Lord's anointed one. And so he, he recognized, he was humble that he wasn't doing everything right. Now later, you'll remember that David committed adultery with Bathsheba and then had her husband killed. And he's confronted by Nathan. Uh, and when he is confronted, he confesses his sins. And he says, in fact, not only did he sin in what he did with the people, but he sinned against the Lord. Now we're going to go back to Josiah again. Now we can give you a little background as to the example that he was following. Um, if you continue reading in 2 Kings 2, you'll get an understanding of how bad it had gotten and how serious Josiah was to follow God. It says in 2 Kings 23 that never before had there been a king like Josiah who turned to the Lord with all his heart and soul and strength. And it's because of Josiah's humility and his desire to follow God and because of God's mercy that the stage is set for others to learn and retain and pass on the law and worship of God. Daniel's family and others were given the perspective that God was at work throughout history, that he wanted to be worshipped, and that they could be a part of that. Now, Josiah's reforms gave them an opportunity to learn what God values. So now that they've learned this, 
what happens next. Just to kind of keep this moving along, I'm going to read the very beginning of Daniel. So at this point, Josiah has now died, and his son is now in charge. So during the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it with his armies. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah. And when Nebuchadnezzar returned to Babylon, he took some of the sacred objects from the temple of God and placed them in the treasure house of the God in the land of, of his God in the land of Babylonia. And then the Lord ordered Ashpenaz, who was in charge of the palace officials, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only the strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are, they are well-versed in every branch of learning and are gifted with knowledge and good sense and have the poise needed to serve in the royal palace. And these selected men, they, they had a lot going for them. The caregiver of them was told to teach these young men the language and literature of the Babylonians, provide the best food and wine, and that some of them would be made advisors. Now, God had a bigger plan than just for them to live well or to use these gifts that he had given them to benefit King Nebuchadnezzar and his government. God was giving them an opportunity for himself to be glorified and for them to be a part of that. And how did he do that? Well, Daniel and the other captives, they didn't control when or where or by whom they were be born. And they couldn't they certainly couldn't control the choices that others made, which was now why this judgment had come against Judah and they were now captives. So they were positioned or placed to be taught of God's law and that God wishes to work through their circumstances. And it's kind of obvious, but who positioned them and who placed them? It was God. We also read about how Daniel was thought to have good character and thus receive favor. And where did that come from? Some of that character comes from the human influences in their life, Daniel's life and his associates. I mean, they became smart and capable young men because their parents and teachers influenced them. But ultimately, though, how did those people, how did they get knit into their lives, into Daniel's life, into his, their associates' lives? That was God also working. So everything was not dependent on Daniel. We need to remember that as well, because it's the same for us. Everything is not dependent on us. Daniel 1.9, it says, Now God had given the chief official great respect for Daniel. Daniel didn't command it. God gave that respect, that favor in the official's sight. And was that for Daniel's personal benefit? No. It was put there again. We're building to glorify God and build Daniel's confidence too in these convictions that he already had um, that God would provide for the future. Backtrack once more to David. This reminds me of David in that, you know, the story of David and Goliath, right? Everybody kind of knows that story where you got little tiny David and this Goliath, right? The the name itself, everybody knows what, uh, what a Goliath is. David, when he finds out that Goliath has been talking trash about God. He's outraged, and um, he comes to Saul at this point. They're on good, well, they don't even know one another, but they're not on bad terms yet. He says, don't worry about a thing. I will go and fight this Philistine, and Saul says, don't be ridiculous. You're only a boy, and Goliath has been in the army since he was a boy. David persists. The Lord who saved me from the lion and the bear will save me from this Philistine. And so David had these past experiences as a shepherd where he had to fight off bears and lions. And he felt confident that even when he's allowed to go to battle with Goliath, before he even does anything, he tells Goliath, he gives God credit right in this moment, today the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. 
So again, we're going to look a little bit more at this later in Daniel's life, but there's this confidence from repeat experiences that God is going to come through. So Daniel has these convictions, but was that the end of it? No. We're going to see that the convictions which grew in his experiences were for the greater glorification of God. Now, Daniel was also wise in how he appealed to those in authority. And maybe that's something that you're good at. And if it is, I really encourage you to you know, continue to put that into practice. And if not, it's really important and good for you to learn how to make a godly appeal. And what I mean by a godly appeal is basically making a, an appeal in a respectful way where you're recognizing that somebody has authority over you or over your situation with the understanding that God has placed that person in that role and you in your role. So let's just look at a few ways Daniel makes some godly appeals and the results. They're in Babylon, captive, and a chief official overseeing them has changed their names from their, their given names to Babylonian names. And when you read through Daniel, the book of Daniel, most of the time he's referred to by his given name. But there are some places where he's called by his new Babylonian name. And he doesn't seem, to, at least from what I read, I don't see where he seemed to have had a problem with that. But Daniel did make up his mind not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked permission to eat other things instead. He asked permission to have vegetables and water instead of the rich meats and other foods that were to be provided for him. After he does this, he makes this appeal and it's granted. He and his associates who also do this, they actually are healthier and and stronger than the people who are eating what they're supposed to eat. And so this will lead to more opportunities for them um, because they have become highly esteemed. In fact, Daniel and specifically Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I don't know how I can ever say those three names without thinking of a song or something, but that's why I keep calling them their associates. But anyway, they were so respected. It's, it's said in Daniel 1.20 that in all matters requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, the king found the advice of these to be 10 times better than all his other advisors in his entire kingdom. I mean, can you believe the setup there? It's amazing. So the next and kind of main experience that I want to talk about is this situation where King Nebuchadnezzar had, this is in Daniel 2, where he has a dream and he's asking his advisors, what is the meaning of this dream? And what is the dream? Because I'm not going to tell you. And his advisors are like, typical advisor fashion. They're not going to tell him he's crazy right off the bat. They're like, oh, okay, that's a great request. So tell us your dream and then we'll tell you what it means. And he just puts his foot down that, no, I want you to tell me both. And they share, nobody's ever asked that. That's unreasonable. So then he decides, okay, well, I'm going to have you all killed. Daniel wasn't even around for this interaction. And so he doesn't know what's happening. And when Ariok, who is one of the king's I guess, hitman, when he comes to kill them, Daniel's handled the situation with wisdom and discretion. Why has the king issued such a harsh decree? And again, I feel like he got this confidence to ask that question. Of course, he was fearing for his life, but I feel like he, he had the confidence to do this because he had asked for accept, exemption before about the food. And, and so when he asked this question, he's, he's not killed. He's, it's explained to him what's happened, and he's allowed to go to the king. And it says Daniel went at once to the king and requested more time so that he could tell the king what the dream meant. And since I haven't read through this whole thing together with you all, what you might not realize is that the other advisors had kind of asked for more time too. And he was like, you're just stalling, you're trying to trick me, and I'm not going to give you more time. But when Daniel comes and makes his appeal, God gives him favor 
in the king's eye, and the king agrees to let him have some more time. And then that gives Daniel time to consult God and seek the meaning and the dream itself. And so when David is ready to tell the king what God has shown him in the dream, he goes to Arioch, and Arioch quickly took Daniel to the king and said, I found the one of the captives from Judah who will tell your majesty the meaning of your dream. And to me, that, was, that just shows another person that Daniel had found favor with because Arioch doesn't know that what David is going to, I'm sorry, what Daniel is going to say is true. He doesn't know how the king is going to react. I mean, if he had just been quiet, he would probably have been fine. But imagine if, if uh, Daniel tells, him the, tells the king something that's not accurate. I mean, it's over for him. You know, I just felt like it's just another example of, of Daniel finding favor. And so when Daniel comes to the king, he says, the king says, is it true? Can you tell me what my dream was and what it means? And Daniel responds saying, no one can, but there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And so Daniel tells him the dream and its meaning. And Daniel cuts himself out of the picture and he gives full stage to God in this situation. He says, it is not because I'm wiser than any living person that I know the secret of your dream, but because God wanted you to understand what you were thinking about. And I can't help but wonder, was the king, when he heard that, thinking, God wants me to understand? Like, God thinks of me? And so one more time, just so there's no misunderstanding, Daniel says, the great God has shown your majesty what will happen in the future. God is going to get all the credit here as far as Daniel is concerned. And the king responds, truly your God is the God of gods and the Lord over kings. So the king, he rewards Daniel, but he clearly gets that it was Daniel's God and not Daniel who revealed these things. So the mission is accomplished. God is glorified in this situation. There are other stories that I'm not going to get into this morning, but there's chapter 3, 4, and 6 especially that have the stories of the fiery furnace, another dream of Nebuchadnezzar's, and then Daniel in the lion's den. And I'd encourage you to read through those and look at them in the lens of Psalm 50, 15, this idea of trusting God in times of trouble, and he'll rescue you, and he'll give you glory, or was giving them this in the past. Now there's more to the book of Daniel than this, just these situational examples of Daniel's life. In other weeks, we're going to be looking at some of the prophecies found there. But wrapping up today, I, I want you to compare your life with Daniel's. Daniel experienced a lot of things over which he could have been bitter. He was taken captive from his homeland. He had no chance of having a family. He knew from prophecy that this captivity was going to last 70 years, which basically means his whole life. And he had to live a life surrounded by immorality and worship of false gods that he knew was unpleasing to God and I would think bothered him because of that. And I'm not asking you to look at your life and say, well, I guess I have it pretty good compared to Daniel. Rather, I'd like you to consider, well, I have a situation like Daniel. I will never get to dot, dot, dot. You fill in the blank. Whatever it is that maybe, maybe it is I will never have a family or maybe it is I will never go here or I will never, you know, Maybe there's something like that. Think of that. Or think of, I'm surrounded by something that I'm convinced doesn't please God. Like, how do I handle that? And it's my understanding that God has given us his word, and he's placed us in a community of believers, and he's given us his Holy Spirit to help us to do this, to help us to trust him, to help us, as he rescues us, to give him glory. And I just want to close with this one thought. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, um, it says, Always be joyful. Keep on praying, no matter what happens, 
Always be thankful, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. So let us pray. Dear God, I just want to thank you for this uh, chance to look at some of the lessons that are in Daniel, the book of Daniel. And Lord, we do have a lot to be thankful for, and sometimes it's hard to see those things. Um, I want to especially pray for people who really do need to be rescued, um, whether it's rescued from something like addictions or rescued from a war zone like those in Ukraine right now. Um, Lord, I pray that those that know you would be able to to um, see and to even communicate how you are great even in those hard situations and that they can trust you and that everyone can trust you um, with wanting the best for them and their life. And um, we pray these things in Jesus' name.